Howdy, howdy. Good morning. Glad you guys are here. Um, I just don't want to occasionally remember to thank the praise team. Uh, thank you, praise team, for always leading us in worship. You're so powerful and good. So blessed. You know, I sit there and receive from God and connect to God, and, and they're doing all the work. So thank you guys for doing that. We're going to begin with our shouts. So uh, if you're new, don't be scared by these shouts. Ready? What do we do? Love God and we love others. And what do we say? I love God and I love you. Amen. Hello, beautiful family. It is amazing to see each of you. And I am so thankful that you have chosen to spend your Sunday with us, uh, worshiping together in our hearts, in one heart, here at Jericho Road Church this Sunday. So we're continuing today in our verse-by-verse study and, uh, of the book of 1 Peter. And we've been discovering this idea that God redefines us. Uh, God redefines uh, how uh, knowing Jesus redefines our everything, everywhere, all the time. That sort of movie, right? And we're going to see that today. That uh, a bit of various pieces, uh, how God redefines our everything. So we're going to be looking at like how, how does God's will redefine us? And how does, uh, how does God redefine our desires and, and our actions and our expectations? And so we're just continuing in our passage, uh, 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 1 today. We're going to begin with that. Peter writes this, Therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves also with the same attitude, because whoever suffers in the body is done with sin. As a result, they do not live the rest of their earthly lives for evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. Now, the first part of this verse, we're going to see that in depth next week. Uh, Pastor Trevor said he's going to be sharing with us, and he is, and his whole passage is sort of about suffering and how, how we deal with that as a Christian and, and how our redefined reality changes how we view that. And so I'm not going to steal his thunder by going deep into that. Otherwise, uh, I read his manuscript. I was going to share all his points, and then he would be messed up for next week. But I decided to be nice. And so I'd rather just, I'm going to highlight that last sentence that we see here about redefined people living not for their own desires, but for the will of God. That's easy to say. Easy to say, I want to live for the will of God, but it is hard to do. It takes constant questioning of yourself and questioning of yourself in a good way. Asking yourself, uh, am I doing these things that I'm doing for God or am I doing them for me? Is this promotion at work, is that God's will for me, or is it, is it my will for me? Is uh, the classes that I'm signing up for at school, is that what I want, or is that what God wants? Hey, that cute boy or girl over there, is that God's will, or is that my desire to talk to them and hang out with them and be with them? We need to be constantly asking ourselves this question. Is this my desire or God's desire? My desire or God's desire? And... We need to constantly ask God, God, what is your will in this situation? So I have to ask myself, am I doing this for me? And then I have to pause and say, okay, God, what is your will in this situation? And ask him what he likes rather than what I like. The whole like, Jesus, take the wheel thing, you know, like that. But I think more appropriately, it's Jesus, what's your will? See how I did that? That's pretty good, huh? Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Samaya Twain, I think that's my name. Uh, we were having, my wife and I were having dinner with Paulo and Julia uh, a few months back, and uh, they are really this kind of what's God's will people, and I loved it. I was so encouraged by them. They were telling me about, uh, me and my wife, about their story, how they met, and how uh, she was on missions, and he was in Brazil needing missions on him. No, I think he was also believing, and, and they were sharing this, but 
the, the really cool part was that every part, uh, he saw her, and she thought she was cute, but then he said, well, God, is this your will for me? And she thought, saw him and said, God, that can't be your will for me. And so that this sort of situation was going on. I mean, they were just praying and praying, and, and, and uh, there was one part where he was, uh, Paulo was sharing, like, uh, this is how they constantly asked for God's will. Like, he was, he was like, okay, I want to give her a gift, right? And so the rest of us, when we, give, uh, we want to give a girl a gift, we get... Well, we get some flowers probably, maybe get like candy or like a little jewelry. That's like pretty impressive. But Paulo isn't like that. He says, God, I don't want to give her what the world would give her. I don't want to give her what I would give her. God, what do you want to give her? And so he went to the store and he was wandering the store saying like, God, what's your will? What's your will for what gift it is? This scarf. I live in Brazil. It's baking. Yep, this is your will. God and God spoke to him and he bought a scarf and he bought some other random item. I don't even remember the other random item. Like two just super random things that weren't overly romantic and they weren't really like, hey, I want to be your boyfriend kind of gifts. But he was praying it through and as he was walking through the store, God revealed to him, pick that one, pick that one. And he did. And then he gave it to her and at first she was like, what? You know, (laughs) these aren't that romantic except turns out later in that week or within the week or two, she, she got sick and needed a scarf because she was sick and, and she was, had the chills. And, and that scarf, which she didn't, normally wouldn't have had in Brazil, God provided for her. And she's like, mmm, Jesus, it's your will. You know, then they started to sing a different tune, right? And so uh, I love them that they, they're always, and that they've been really encouragement for me to consistently ask, God, what's your will? Not only just in the big things, but in the little things, when they're shopping for a gift for someone and able to bless them, like, God, what, what would be the best thing? Because I, I sort of tend to think really practically. I'll say, well, what would be affordable and it would be economical and it would be practically useful for them, you know? Like, but but uh, I think we should start being more like that, the wonderful example of our friends, to say, God, what is your will in all the big situations, all the little ones? Do you want me to give to this? Do you want me to go to this place? That doesn't have to be everything, you know, like, should I brush my teeth now, God? Is that your will? It's, a, you know, it's like it's 10 minutes earlier than I normally do. So you could get overly obsessive on it, but, but I'm not sure that we're that. So let's, let's work on doing it a little bit more. We seek God's will because as redefined people, we're in it not just for ourselves anymore because we used to be like that. Here's what the next section says. For you guys, you spent enough time in the past doing things that the pagans choose to do, living in debauchery and lust and drunkenness and orgies and carousing and detestable idolatry. Like, oh, that sounds so evil, right? But that's like pornography and getting drunk and, and uh, being obsessed with your cell phone. Oh, we've got all those things. They're surprised that, the, that you don't join them in their reckless, in their wild living. And then they heap abuse on you but they'll have to give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. So this is like this really strange reality about Christians, that when you change and you become a Christian, if you've been a Christian your whole life, maybe there wasn't this like sort of black and white difference, but for me it was. like I was not a Christian, and then I was a Christian, and it was really, really obvious. And when you change, people are surprised that you start to say no to some of the sinful stuff that you used to say yes to all of the time. And when I first became a Christian, one of the things that I was known for prior to being, becoming a Christian, I was known for, and I, I hate confessing. My mom always feels bad when I confess all the time these bad things I do. But I, I was known uh, for someone who would be uh, willing to say anything uh, evil and bad and wicked and sinful. And I would make sexual jokes all of the time. And I had probably more swear words than I had regular words in my normal vocabulary. And so I, I would say horrible, horrible things to people. 
And uh, when I became a believer, I stopped it, or God allowed me to stop that right away. And I no longer had that kind of joking and that kind of stuff. And, and so much so that like when I met with my friends again, then they were like expecting funny jokes. So they would like sort of set up the joke, hey, Sam, da 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 And then they thought I was going to say something really bad, and I'd be like, no, that, that's, not, that's not very nice. <laughs> They're like, what? And they were like, but then, because, you know, I'm pretty clever, or I used to be. Now I'm much slower. I used to be real clever and witty, and then they were like, oh, he's playing the long game. He's like pretending to be all like Christianized, you know, and then he's going to jack us up later. But no, I actually was Christian now, and so, uh, but it was really hard thing for them to understand. They, they weren't used to that kind of, to me not joking the way that I used to. Uh, something like if you've chosen to remain a, a, a virgin until you get married, like God asks, then you may face some ridicule, and you might get mocked over that decision in your life if that's what you choose to do, because that's, that's totally not how the world uh, navigates. The world's surprised when you choose righteousness over fun, or, or the Lord over your urges. And it's often a point of ridicule, but don't worry, look at the verse says, God's got the last and final say. Judgment's coming for them, right? But not necessarily to smack them down, for being mean to you. Jesus wants to save them as much as he wanted to save you. See how it comes in our next passage. See, they're going to have to give account to the one who will judge. And in our next passage, it says, for this reason, uh, for this is the reason the gospel was preached, even to those who are now dead, so that they might be judged according to human standards in regard to the body, but live according to God in regard to the spirit. They may be dead now, spiritually speaking, but the gospel brings life. Each of us, we were once dead. We were once the person who mocked those that were believers. I was once the person who was mocking of others and ridiculed others, and I was dead, and I was deserving of judgment, and the judgment was coming. But, but God says, I give mercy instead, and I received that. And so, yes, God is going to judge, but, but we trust God is going to show mercy and then wanting to save those people who are currently dead, that they might become alive in Christ. Jesus brought life and showed us how to live a redefined existence according to God, not according to humans. To live according to God in regard to the Spirit, not according to the way of the world. Then he continues, he says, The end of all things is near. Therefore be alert and, and of sober mind so that you could pray. Above all, love each other deeply, because love covers a multitude of sins. So it says, the end of all things is near. Now, now near is a fairly open-ended uh, word, apparently, because it's been 2,000 years since he wrote that, and so like it's sort of a flexible near. But I think the point is this. The idea is that when time is short, do the important things. If time is short, just do the important things. Look, if, if you're going to die in a week, you're probably not going to be like, oh, you know what, I need a, I need a new pair of socks. I'm going to go socks shopping. Probably that's not going to be what you're going to do, right? You would do important things if the time was near. And, and the Bible here says, what's the first thing? The end is near, therefore be alert and sober and pray. If there was only a limited time left, what would you do? This is this popular dinner conversation. Hey, if you had a week left, if you had a year left, what would you do with that? The Bible seems to say here, if, if there was a limited time and the end is near, what you should do is pray. 
Now, often we think praying isn't really doing anything. Yeah, 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 pray, but, but what would I really do? And praying is the doing in the spiritual life. Praying is the, it's not the, the afterthought, it's not the garnish. Prayer is the meal of the Christian life. This was a really hard transition for our leadership board to uh, uh, transition from in this church. Before, the leadership board was known for doing all of the ministry. They would run the programs and, and have their hand in everything. And then um, when, we, when we created a new governance document, the leadership board now is to pray. <laughs> and they're like, yeah, but, but what are we going to do? <laughs> At first, it was like, oh, this, this kind of thing, like we have to do something, we have to do something. But really... Our call is to pray and pray first. Pray is the key function. And the, the board was used to doing everything and to transition to just, hey, maybe prayer is really important. That was a, that was a different mind shift. It had to happen for us. Praying is the priority. Now, it's the, there are other things to do, but it's the first among the many. It ought to be a priority for each of us in our lives. Think of this hypothetical. What if I told you this? Ready? What if I could actually do this? And I said... Um, who would like $5 million? Anyone like $5 million? Like the rest of you are so holy you don't want money. Okay, so, well, the four of us that would like $5 million. Now, what if I told you I'll give you the $5 million right now, uh, but you'll be dead by tomorrow? Still want it? Said, nope, <laughs> right? Like, not at all. Why? No way. Because ultimately, money is not that important. Waking up tomorrow is more important than $5 million. And so we've got to do the important things. If time were short, do the important things. The end is near, so do what's important. The Bible says is to pray. And then it's followed by a do. What, what can we actively do? Yes, pray, and then what? Above all, love one another deeply. Says, look, the time is there. If you just have a little bit of moment time, what do you got to do? You got to pray. You got to love some folks. If that's it, you, you you got only a few more minutes. Do those two things. If an asteroid's coming and they, you know, the news comes on, you got 20 minutes. Folks, pray, and then find somebody near you to love. That's it. But that's kind of what you'd do, right? If I said, hey, we've only got 30 minutes, you'd call a loved one probably. You'd pray. We'd hold hands, we'd hug, and then boom, and we'd be all we'd be with Jesus, right? Like, whatever. Because loving people, he says, covers a multitude of sins. Now, covers here means to veil or to hide, to conceal, or to envelop. Love helps soothe over mistakes that we've made. It covers a multitude of sin. Proverb 10.12 says it this way, Hatred stirs up conflict, but love covers over all wrongs. But in what way does it cover up sins? Like, I think for us, if you go to church too long, you see, you see sins and covers, and you're like, oh, we're talking about eternal sins, right? All of a sudden, we just immediately jump to everything as eternal sins. Like, oh, how would love forgive sins? I thought Jesus and Jesus alone forgive sins. Is that what we believe in the church? We do. But he's not talking about eternal things here. He's talking about in relationships to one another. Your love is going to cover a multitude of mistakes that the other person makes. Right? In our marriage, we always say it's sort of like a love bank account. Like, I deposit love in, into my wife's love bank account. And occasionally, you have to make a withdrawal. That means uh, you need some forgiveness because you made a mistake, right? 
and if, if you've deposited enough love, then, it, then it's okay. So, you know, I come home and I have a little bit of an attitude. I had a hard day and, and I'm a little sharp with my tone with my wife and a little maybe condescending in the way I talk to her. Oh, boy. Now, luckily, I've deposited a lot of love in that love bank. And so she lets it go, soothes it over, and she forgives me pretty easily. Now, that's a big withdrawal. You know, that, that's what we talked about last time. Like, all our fights are this tone kind of thing. That's a big withdrawal. And then usually I note it later. I was like, ooh, she let that one go. <laughs> you know, like I was like, ooh, good thing. And then, uh, but, but that's how it works. Like my love for her, the love that I've been depositing for her, it helps soothe over some of the mistakes that we make. It helps her be able to forgive uh, as we interact with one another for, for mistakes that I've made. And that's what this is talking about. To cover over means to forgive. And forgiveness is associated with love. As believers, we reflect the love of God by forgiving other people. Like it says in 1 Corinthians 13.5, that famous passage that says, love keeps no record of wrongs, that marriage passage we use all the time. But it doesn't. When we love each other, we are willing to forgive each other. So in our relationships, like Proverbs mentioned, and we see it here, love helps cover over a bunch of the mistakes that we have with one another. And it's not just in a marriage relationship, it's within a friend relationship and within a community relationship like this. It helps me if I'm the one that is giving the forgiveness, so I've been wronged, and I forgive them. It helps me to be able to move forward in love with that person. Because if I don't give that forgiveness, I kind of get stuck, and I'm not able to move forward with them. And the person who's asking for forgiveness, it helps them because then they, they don't have to navigate in like awkwardness with me, and they can allow the, the, the guilt that comes with messing up or being mean to someone or hurting their feelings or whatever the sin is. It, it allows them to let that go and not carry the burden. So forgiveness is really helpful for both persons. It really does help cover over, soothe over a multitude of sin. A theologian named Wayne Grudem writes this about how it, affects community, like in our church. She says, where love abounds in a fellowship of Christians, many small offenses and even some large ones are readily overlooked and forgotten. But where love is lacking, every word is viewed with suspicion. Every action is, is liable to misunderstanding. And conflicts abound to Satan's perverse delight. See, if we haven't loved the brothers and sisters deeply, if we haven't loved one another deeply, then we can't do this. Depositing love in one another in the love bank allows us to, yeah, someone's going to make a mistake. Yeah, someone's going to view things differently. And then maybe they're going to come and hit us awkward when they're walking in today. Or maybe they said hi to everyone and they didn't say hi to me. But if we have enough love in our community bank, then we'll be able to navigate that, no problem, and continue to have Jesus as the unifier of us all. See, one way to show deep love to one another is found in our next verse. So, okay, I, I want to show deep love for people. How do I do it? He says, oh, I'm glad you asked, because here it says, offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Hospitality, this is a beautiful way to love one another. Hospitality means like uh, inviting people over to your home, having them over for dinner, or going out for a snack, or, or going to pick boba up together and, and hanging out in the car. Maybe offering to babysit uh, a younger couple's kid so that they can go, not even have a date, just go get some sanity. They can just be away from their kids for just a second. Maybe hospitality is just giving a, a, a small gift of love given to someone in a time of difficulty. Maybe it's just a text. Hospitality can be a text. Say, hey, praying for you. I care for you. Uh, I saw that you were hurt on Sunday. I just want you to know you're prayed over and you're loved. It's caring for the needs of those people around you. That's what hospitality. Hospitality is the 
the, the doing of, of the, the feeling of love. Hospitality is how we navigate and care for and gently come alongside those that are next to us. And it says, do it without grumbling. Now, grumbling sounds out loud uh, in, in English, but in Greek, it's not. It, this word means silent complaint. I'm going to be hospitable. <laughs> That's nice. But inside, what do I have? I have a silent complaint. Man, I always have to do this for these persons. Oh, man, I'm so sick of this. Blah, blah, blah. They always take advantage or blah, blah, blah. Maybe someone, you offer hospitality. Like my, my daughter's learning to drive right now, and that's always really fun. Uh, everyone who's taught their kids how to drive, you know, it, uh, Jesus, take the wheel. <laughs> you know, <laughs> Jesus, what's your wheel <laughs> on that one? Uh, but, you know, someone lets her in, and, you know, she's driving 43 on the, the freeway to try to merge, and then someone, like, you know, slams on their brakes and allows her in. That's nice hospitality, right? And so maybe you let someone in, and you don't internally complain about it. <laughs> Maybe it's just something simple on the freeway. Maybe you're at work and, and that same person who asks you every time to pick up the copies and they can pick up on their own, their own bleeping copies, right? And they ask you to do it again, you do. And you show hospitality, but without the, the internal silent complaint. Now you're like, well, I don't really feel that way. And that, that's where we get back to that first part where it was like pray and then show brotherly love because... Maybe you don't feel like it. But, but the beauty of the scripture is that it's not, it's not you navigating alone. You're not doing these things, right? You're a redefined person where Jesus is with you now so that, that you, maybe I can't show that kind of love and I, and I don't want to show the hospitality. I don't want people to come to my house because I'm going to mess it up and blah, 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 and, and I'm tired and I'm an introvert and I have a million excuses, so I'm not doing it. doesn't matter what your word says, God. I'm not doing, I'm doing what I want. But... But you don't have to navigate that way because it's not on your strength. It's, it's on God's. And so if you don't have it, you can pray about it. And as you pray about it, God's going to provide something. Check out our last passage today. He says this, Each of you, you should use whatever gifts you've received to serve other people. As faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. Like if someone speaks, they should do it as one who speaks the very words of God, if, if someone serves, they should do that with the strength that God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. So a redefined person doesn't use their gifts and talents merely for their own benefit, but rather for the benefit of other people. Part of loving deeply is using what I have to bless and serve you, and then vice versa. Part of a redefined love and hospitality for one another is like, God, what gifts have you given? And we all have different ones. Like I mentioned about our praise team. I am so thankful. They, they play instruments and they sing, and, and I get to worship under them. Because I have these instruments. I bought a bunch of them, and I play them, and they don't make anything sound like their son. It doesn't sound like that at all when I do it. I try it, and I'm like, Jesus, I'm done. It doesn't make any songs. And so I can't worship without them. Like, I literally, I can't. I don't have the ability. I tried. I bought instruments. I took lessons, and I just can't make any music. And so they use that gift, and it blesses me. It's their, their gift, but it's not their gift for them. It's their gift for us. And you've got gifts and talents and abilities, and it's not just for you as a redefined person. It's for others. Now, this is a radical departure from the me-first mentality of the world. 
in the world, I have gifts so I can get ahead, so I can get a better job, so I can do this, so I can have this, and I can get, uh, I can be valedictorian, beat all those other kids, ha, 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 with the gift of my brain. Like, right? It's always about being better and me and me and me. And so a redefined person has redefined priorities. My gifts aren't for my benefit. It's for the benefit of those people around you. And so what are you gifted at? Whatever you're gifted at, however you answer, what are you gifted at? Open. Use that to be a blessing to someone. I don't know how it can be done. But in every giftedness that you have, you can use it to be a blessing for others, not just for yourself. And it doesn't matter what gift you're sharing because all good things come from the Lord and we return back to him in the form of serving others and blessing others. And so there's a sublime beauty of God's gifts flowing from God to other people, but he, but he flows them through me and my particular gifts. So, and there's this beauty in that where God, these people are going to get blessed. They're going to get blessed by you. And I just get to be part of that. I just get to be part of that conduit in blessing people. And there's this, this, uh, this gra like gratification and a, and a beauty and a joy in being able to use the gifts that you have to bless other people. And in this, it's not really my strength at all, but rather it's God's strength to exercise these gifts. I'm not blessing out of my own limited resources. I'm blessing people out of God's unlimited reservoir. So if you're not good at hospitality or not good at showing deep love, look for God's strength in this. If you're having trouble showing and sharing love, that's okay. Because it's not your strength that does it. It's God's strength. And God has given us gifts, every one of us, for the benefit of those around you. He's redeemed you so that you no longer are a self-blesser, but an others-blesser. This is your new reality. Now, I'm going to put the podium down, but, but I want you to stay with me, because usually I put this down, and then everyone's like, you check out time. Okay, I'm going to put that down. Because we know that's the key for the praise being to come up. I don't know if you knew that secret. I just gave away the secret. But they, the praise being is going to come up. But I want you to stick with me for this last bit. There's one final verse up. Uh, let's look at the last sentence of this verse. How our scripture ends for today. It says, using what God gives us to build others up. And it ends with, uh, to him, for him, for the purpose of. Notice that last sentence because it frames everything. Why are we doing all of this? What is the gain or the goal of living a redefined life? To him be the glory and the honor and the power forever and ever. Amen. That is the goal. That is the reason. That's the, what the heck are we, why would I be willing to do any of this kind of stuff? And the reason is so that God could be magnified, so that we've said it multiple weeks, that God can be pointed towards, not me. I get to be a conduit to point people back to God, to bless them in God, to bring God's favor upon them, to be, to be the conduit of grace to people in its various forms, so that in all things God may be praised. To Him be the glory and power forever and ever. Amen? Amen. Let's stand together and we're going to worship, telling God how worthy He is, and He alone is worthy of our worship.